I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. And are you're going to be joining me yes. and the whole Plant Strong crew in Black Mountain. Black Mountain for this our, spring. For our next six-day retreat. Yeah, and I promise not to get into my bike accident this time. <laughs> And will you just like give it a quick like sell because yeah. we got about 20 spots left. Yeah. It is an opportunity for you to step outside of the life that you live right now. Mm. Come, come and be with us because we, we've intentionally designed and created a, an environment and an experience that is for the entire purpose of you discovering what's possible. Mm. And if you come here and you spend five days with us, you are going to discover what's possible. You will see it because we, we, we give you no other option. At the end of the five days, you're going to notice what is possible for you and your body after five days of completely living. Six, six days, six days living a plant strong lifestyle with movement, with proper sleep, with everything. With social activity, social engagement, fun, learning to have fun again, learning to play, learning to laugh, all the things. And eat copious amounts of food. Exactly. At the end of those five (laughs) days, you're going to notice the effect that that has on you. Six days. Six, sorry. I keep saying (laughs) five. I know. know. End of those six days, you're going to be confronted with the reality that this lifestyle could mean for you. You just got to show up. And you're likely going to be inspired by that and motivated to repeat it. If you come, I guarantee you. I guarantee you, you lose nothing by coming, but you might miss out on the most important thing in your life if you don't come. Mm -hmm. And instead of telling someone all they have to do is stop using, what we should be doing is replacing the use with appropriate and valuable behavior patterns that are likely to create a better life for that person, a better sense of the world for them, and a safer experience for them inside of their bodies and outside of their bodies moving forward. That starts with plant-based nutrition. It starts with movement. Of course, it includes therapy. Mm -hmm. But the fact that nutrition has never been measured until now was very upsetting to me because 
I probably attribute one or two other things to being as equally powerful as what nutrition offered me in recovery. And we can give it to people right now. Right. There's nothing stopping right. any treatment center right now saying, hey, you know, we already spend money on food, so let's just buy different food. Like we can do it right now, and that's my mission. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plan Strong Podcast. The mission at Plan Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. My people, we are coming off of a fantastic President's Day whirlwind weekend here in Austin, Texas, because it was the inaugural Team Plan Strong event at the Austin Marathon, and I could not be more jazzed about how it all turned out. Over 90 of you traveled to Austin from all around the country to complete either the 5K half marathon or full marathon in your team Plan Strong regalia. And let me tell you, we made quite the splash here in Austin, Texas, the capital of Texas. Thank you to all of you who joined in, including several plant-based Brock stars like Dr. Michael Clapper, Robbie Barbero with Mastering Diabetes, Dom Thompson with Eat What Elephants Eat, and Adam Sud with The Plant-Based Addict. Now, speaking of Adam Sud, he swung by the Plant Strong headquarters last week to talk about the long-awaited published results of his groundbreaking research study on the effects of plant-based nutrition in treatment for substance use and addiction. We know the profound impact that a whole food plant-based diet can have on your physical health, but surprisingly, no research study has ever been done on the impact of plant-based nutrition on addiction and recovery until now. And the results, well, let's just say the results of that study are plant strong. Now, here to tell us all about his findings, the project leader of this study, Adam Sud. Adam Sud? Yes, sir. <laughs> you ready to do this? I'm so ready to do this. This is going to be fun. All right. So, you are now officially in hallowed rarefied air because this now means Yeah. That this is your third time on the Plant yeah, Strong I was podcast. About that on the drive over here, yeah, third time. And if my memory serves me correctly, there's only three other people that have been on three times. One is Essie, yeah. Two is Doctor Clapper. Oh, nice. And three is the combo of Jane and Ann. Well, that's great. Yeah. I'm excited to be in that yeah. group. That's a good group. And if anybody wants to go back and listen to Adam's number one and number two yeah. episodes, number one was episode number 15, yeah. which was You Are the Solution. That's right. Uh, the next time you were on was with Tara Kemp. That's right. Episode number 48, and it was The Power of Plants in Addiction Recovery. Yes. 
which kind of flows into what I want to talk about with you today, but yeah. I'm not going to let you talk yet. Okay. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Uh, but before we dive into like the meat and the guts, or I should say the kale and, 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 and the guts of what we want to talk about today, will you just like... What have you been up to lately? Like you've had yeah. some monumental things that have happened in your life. Yeah, so I, I got married in December, which is just the greatest thing ever. Um, and she's the greatest thing ever. Uh, it, it's you know I, I moved. I was living in Portland with Laura, uh, and then we got engaged um, in twenty twenty one. And then we moved to Austin in February of last year, and we got married in December, and then we went on our honeymoon, and it's been fantastic. And we published the study last year, which was fantastic. It's a big deal, uh, like four or five years in the making. And uh, we, we've gotten some really cool press as a result of it. It's just featured in Forbes and Psychology Today. Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of big things going on. Well, I want to talk all about that study, but there's other things that I want to talk about before we talk about sure. the study. And one is, so you've gotten kind of massive in, <laughs> in the last, you know, I'd say, was it two years? Yeah, two years. Two. About the start of, of uh, 2020, or sorry, the, the tail end of 2020 is when I really started to, yeah, when I really started to focus on on uh, strength training. And what, what was the impetus for that? You know, it's... I was noticing, number one, I had moved to Portland, and so it was a really rainy city, <laughs> cold and rainy city, like nine months out of the year. And I had been doing a lot of running for exercise, which was great, and I really loved it. But there was this moment where I thought I was getting bored. I was getting kind of run down with with running and one thing i did want was to have exercise be something that i i felt like i didn't want to be a part of and i needed to i've always used exercise as a way to explore kind of the boundaries of what i thought was physically or even emotionally and psychologically possible for me and i just thought like what when i think about my life like what type of physical exercise athlete type of thing like really inspired me i was like i grew up in the 1980s and 1990s, and I have always idolized like the action stars of the 1980s and the 1990s. You know, Arnold and Sly and Van Dam and you know Jackie Chan and all these people. And I was always so impressed with them physically. And I always used to tell myself, "Oh, well, that's not real. I could never be that." And I thought, "Well, of course I believe that. I never ever tried <laughs> to see." What I could do if I explored strength training and and hypertrophy training, which is just muscle building. And I've had a great time in the last year. I put on about 40 pounds in the last uh, two years. So, Well, in the show notes, we'll have to put a photo of your before and after yeah. because it's pretty profound. Because yeah. I remember, and maybe this wasn't, you know the main impetus, but I can remember somebody making a comment about your pencil arms. Was it Jane? It was Jane. So my yeah. sister Jane <laughs> yeah, said she, something. She called me sickish. And I was like, that's about it. That's about it. And so how much did that weigh into it? A lot. A lot. In a good way though. <laughs> because I I it, it like kind of it kind of like nudged me in a way that was really exciting. Where I was like, oh okay, well I'd like to see if I could be the exact opposite of that, where I could really kind of develop a, a masculine physique and, and yeah. yeah. And so 
Let me ask you this. What is a, a greater love for you right now? Yeah. Lifting weights or pickleball? Lifting weights. Wow. Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah. And I love pickleball. And you love pickleball. Love pickleball. Lifting weights. You, you even got me into a pickleball league. I did, yeah. And I, I play, you know, three to four days a week, and I love it. But there's something – the thing is with pickleball, you know, it's it's a sport that is about – being there for other people and being a part of a team. And, and, and so being good at pickleball is great, but it's also like there's, there's a, you want to be good because other people are going to notice and they're going to care. They're going to like need you to do that. Whereas with weight training, you don't do it for anybody. Mm. You don't do it for anybody but yourself. And so if you want to get good at it, you have to solely want to explore things that are difficult, that are uncomfortable, that are confusing. And that a lot of times can actually physically hurt and in order to do that, you have to really love it. You have to really love it. So how much, how much of weightlifting would you say is, is embracing the, uh, the, the pain? Um, I would say it's embracing discomfort a lot because of, it's not just what's required of you in the gym. It's what's, what's required of you outside of the gym in terms of like the, the regimen of nutrition, uh, and, and what you're, how you're going to plan out your day and, and being really, so, you know, me, <laughs> if I get into something, I <laughs> really, really get into it. And, you know, um, my day is designed around optimizing the outcomes that can, I can experience over the course of say three to six weeks of, of training. And so the, what I drink, what I eat, how I sleep, it's all really focused towards that goal of exploring what's possible inside of the gym. So, there's a lot of things that go into it where it just requires your entire attention. It's not just in the gym. It requires you to be appropriate with what you choose to do and how you choose to do it in terms of everything that you, in every way that you live your life. And, and I really, I'm really attracted to that. I'm really attracted to that mindset where it says, if you want this thing, your entire life has to be about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Laura, yeah. your wife. Yeah. Has seen both the stickish Adam and now and and now the big guns Adam. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So does she have a preference, or does she just love Adam for Adam? She loves me for me, but she appreciates the she appreciates where I am today. So that's you know, but you know the thing is, um, you know, I think it's it's more about how I carry myself that's different mm. um, with 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 this lifestyle. There's a there's a, a a different energy that I think I've I've come into as a result of weight training and resistance training and strength training that I didn't have before, um, just in the way that I carry myself. I think, I, I think I'm a little more confident. Um, I'm a little more sure of myself. Uh, I'm a little more, I, I would say I'm a little more mature, uh, in terms of like masculinity. And I mean that in a very positive way, mm-hmm. um, that I didn't embody before I started weight training. And I think that's really what she's, she likes it. She doesn't need it, but I think she appreciates it. Yeah. Well, uh, just to give everybody a little story here. So we have a sun, a standing Sunday pickleball game. Adam, myself, yeah. John Mackey, Robbie Barbera with Mastering Diabetes, and then my son Cole. Yeah. And we had a bit of a bully that was kind of harassing a, yeah. a woman pickleballer about the – he, he wanted to have the court. And so I basically stood up to him, 
But one of the reasons I was so able to stand up to him is because I had my muscle right next to me, which was Adam, which was right there. So yeah, yeah, that felt good. Yeah, it did. It did. That, that guy was a bully. Yeah. He was. Um, okay. So yeah. what I would love before you jump into the, this fabulous, incredible research study sure. that you've done, yeah. if you could give people that haven't heard you on episode 15 or 48, yeah. give them kind of like a Reader's Digest yeah. version of of you yeah. and why this research study mm-hmm. that we don't even, nobody knows what it's about yet, why it's um, so kind of revolutionary and never been done before. Yeah. Uh, the story goes, uh, in 2012, I was at the end of a uh, about a 10-year um, battle with substance use disorder or addiction. And I was 350 pounds at the time. Um, I had a whole host of undiagnosed conditions and I, I, I tried to suicide on August 21st of 2012. I failed. And, um, yes, good. It was great. Best <laughs> failure of my life. Um, I checked into treatment where I was diagnosed with diabetes and heart disease and erectile dysfunction and a whole host of, uh, psychological and emotional conditions and put on a, a very significant number of medications. And I, I, I remember thinking that my focus at the time, uh, and my idea of what recovery was, was just find a way to divorce yourself from substances, uh, remove it from your life and abstain from it. And if you were to do that, and if I was able to do that long enough, then there's a possibility that my life might be a better place. Um, I was confronted with the reality that that's not how I should approach it by being diagnosed with all these conditions, that really what I need to do and what I wanted to do was to, what I like to, to say is reverse engineer the experience of feeling fully alive in a meaningful way. I needed to create the potential to wake up and have my body and my life feel like a safe and secure place to be. Mm. And also have a sense that my future, not just tomorrow, but also there's a sense that even a little bit further down the road, was equally safe equally secure, and also seemingly exciting. It was an exciting place to be. And if I could do that, then use might likely be less necessary. Mm. Um, And it's had to start by, first and foremost, confronting and uh, and recognizing that I have some serious medical conditions that I need to take care of, and I needed to take care of it immediately. And at the time, I had just, you know, I was two years after going to your retreat, that was the only other way. That's the only thing I knew. I was like, oh, well, I don't know anything about nutrition, but I had attended this seven-day retreat with Rip. What if I just do that thing? Because clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. Clearly, I don't know any other way to do it. So I have no reason not to do this thing. As a result of adopting a plant-based diet in recovery, I was able to reverse my chronic diseases within six months of the diagnosis. I was able to lose 150 pounds in the first year and get off of all of my psych meds. And I've, I've remained a person in recovery for 10 years. I've, I've lost 175 pounds. I, I'm, I'm off of every medication. I was off of every medication within one year. And I've, I've maintained that. And in fact, not only have I maintained it, I've continued to move forward into a life that is, is equally and increasingly more exciting and more uh, enjoyable. And I think that that's, that's the factor that I got interested about. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, why don't you tell me, like, so you put together this research study. Yeah. What exactly is it and what was involved with putting it together? Yeah. So, 
like I mentioned, I spent a year about about a year in recovery. So I was in a rehab hospital for 37 days. And then I was in a sober living facility for 10 months. And and so I spent a, a little almost about 11 and a half months in a recovery facility. And it was in that recovery facilities or in, in, in those recovery facilities that I utilized nutrition as a specific and appropriate part of recovery. But did you know at the time that this was part of your recovery or were you just trying, trying to do, trying to do something to lose weight, feel oh, yeah. better? It was, it was absolutely that. I was just so trying you, to lose So you were, you back then you weren't thinking. I was not thinking this okay. whatsoever. Okay. Um, but what I noticed at the end of my stay was that, oh my gosh, I, I not, I checked into treatment the sickest and most, you know, disconnected I'd ever been in my life. And within one year, which let's be honest, one year is a very short amount of time. I left the healthiest and most excited about life and being alive that I'd ever been in my entire life, certainly as an adult. And I had spent those 11 months with other individuals who were equally seeking the, the journey of recovery. And the majority of these individuals were either going on higher dosages of the medications they were on, or they were going on more medications, or they were gaining weight. And we, it was really interesting because we lived in the same house. Yeah. A lot of us were there for three, six months together. How many of you roughly were There's in the house? There's 12. People come and go. Yeah. But the, I think the house was, was full at 12. And we were going to the same intensive outpatient therapy programs. We were going to the same meetings. We were doing a lot. All, all these other variables were very similar, except... I took my nutrition very, very seriously. Just like you do your weight training now. Just like I do my weight training. In fact, I took it so seriously that it became a part of how I organized my life. And is there any, is there any data to support that there's, that this is actually a thing that we should be doing in recovery? I got really curious about this question. And that's when I looked into it and I realized that there had never been a controlled trial investigating the effects of nutrition of any kind on early addiction recovery outcomes. And so I spent like the better part of two years just being aggravated that there was nothing to like confirm my experience. And then I just, I, I thought to myself, why, why don't I do it? Why don't I do the study? Well, so, well, what's really interesting is I can remember when you were starting to smell around yeah. ab- about doing this. And I think it was when you were at Whole Foods. Yeah. Uh, doing some nutritional uh, coaching. That's right. And I can remember thinking to myself, yeah, right. <laughs> like you're going to, you're going to put together this study, get yeah. the doctors involved, yeah. go through all the hoops and everything that you have to do, raise the money, you know, form a 501c3. I was like, good luck. But, you know, on the outward, I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Make, make it happen. Oh, I know. Right? Yeah. So, but you did it. I did it. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I'm very proud of it. It was, I had no, I had no idea how much effort it was going to take. Which is a good thing. Which is great. Cause if I had, it probably would have been a too scary a thing to, to do. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to, uh, when you look at recovery, when you look at any rehab facility right now, if you were to go, you'd notice that food is one of the most controlled variables of the entire experience. Everybody eats at the same time. Everyone eats the same meals. No food is allowed in and no food is allowed out other Hmm. than what they serve. So here's a variable that could be easily measured and easily weighed against outcomes. And yet no one ever, no one ever cared to study it. No one ever cared to study it 
in my and why I think is because they're using food right now in a very similar way that the rest of the world uses it or Western culture uses it is it's a moment of escape. Mm. It's a time for people to forget that they're in recovery and to just have a exciting, you know, calorie dense if necessary meal where the stress is gone for an hour. And I think that that's, that's, I think that's the reason why food has always been seen as oh, just enjoy it. And enjoy on the it. flip side, yeah. what's the other way of looking at it? The other way of looking at it is, uh, and this is really important. First and foremost, we have to understand why addiction makes so much sense. Because when people look at, or they're the outside observer of an individual who's struggling with substance use disorder, what they're likely doing is they're going, I don't understand this. I don't get it. They clearly must know that what they're doing is not only making their day right now very difficult and separating them from what feels great and what feels meaningful in life, but they're, they're insulting their future. They're going to, they, they must know that their future is now going to be much, much harder, much more dangerous place, much more painful place to be because they're using. And so they're going to ask a very seemingly valuable question, which is, how do we get you to stop? Why won't you stop? And I can understand why that's a, a, an appropriate question, but a much more valuable question to mm. ask is, why does their use make so much sense? Mm. If we were to answer that question, we're likely going to come to a very similar set of variables for every single person who struggles with substance use disorder. Number one, for one or more reasons, their life as it is right now has become an unsafe, insecure, and painful place to be. Whether it's their bodies, whether it's their social circle, whether it's their lack of purpose, whether it's, you know, trauma, however it is, they don't want to be present in their life because their life, for one or more reasons, is a painful, unsafe, and insecure place to be. Also, their future looks like an even more unsafe, more insecure, mm -hmm. and more painful and, 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 uh, and more painful place to be. So... When you look at that and you recognize those variables, you can understand that the reason why they use is because it allows them to easily and repeatedly escape the experience of being alive. And they don't mind compromising their future because their future doesn't look mm. like a place they want to be anyways. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is you have to help this person reorganize their priorities and their values and how they move through their day so that over the course of time, their life and their self and their body and their social circle becomes a more safe, secure, and exciting place to be. Food should be used as a way to organize how their day goes. When someone is at end-stage substance use disorder, everything about their day is organized, organized around their use. Mm -hmm. What do they use? How much do they use? When do they use it? All the other meaningful acts of self-care and behaviors of self-care, food, sleep, water, social interaction, those are pushed to the side to make room for as much organization around use as possible. Mm. So if we can swap use for food, <clears throat> they have a self-care act that they organize how they plan their day around, where now their day is fixed around in the morning I get up so that I can eat breakfast as an act of self-care, as an act of self-love, as an act of caretaking for a body that you want to have become a, an increasingly safe and secure place to be. And then you go about your day and then you come back to food and then you go back to your day and you come back. You have to re replace the use as the priority. You don't want to remove use. You have to intentionally replace it, actively mm -hmm. replace it with a meaningful act of self-care. Mm. 
And so food is the one thing that everyone has to do. So I think it should really start there. So you think that's the, that's the first step? I think that's the first step. Well, first step is obviously recognizing right. that you need a, that you, you're, you're struggling and there's nothing, you don't know how to do it and it's okay. Like you're not supposed to know. It, it, it's a very difficult thing to figure out on your own. But let, let's say that I am, um, I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. I come to recovery. Yeah. Do, do you think for my whole day and my, the organization mm-hmm. and me substituting my drug use for, let's just say food, yeah. right? Do I have to be somehow educated in the fact that this food that you're going to be doing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner yeah. is the absolute cat's meow when it comes to something that's going to take care of you, love 100%. you back? Right. And so, yes. and so how difficult is that to get that education imparted into these addicts? Uh, it's, it has to be part of the programming. And so when we designed the study, we designed the study to be not only a nutrition intervention, but a nutrition education intervention. So everybody who was in the study was given not only the diet to match which group they chose, because this was a controlled trial. So we're, we're trying a plant-based intervention against another dietary pattern. And the other dietary pattern was actually very, it's actually a pretty quality dietary pattern if you were to look at it objectively. It wasn't plant exclusive by any sense. It, I wouldn't even call it plant predominant. It was more of a low carb paleo style diet, but they did remove a lot of the ultra processed foods and things like that. Um, And so if you chose the plant-based group, you got curriculum to match that dietary lifestyle, to educate you on the value of it, what it's going to likely do for you over time, what it's going to likely do for you right now. And the same with the other group. We worked with a uh, a dietitian group out of Florida to design us a a curriculum that met sort of like the ADA standards of nutrition. Um, what we noticed is that, and I think this is really valuable. Number one, when people enter substance use disorder treatment, they're always undernourished Hmm. period end of story. And so likely simply, like I mentioned before, reorganizing your day around healthy eating, whatever your dietary pattern ends up being, you're likely going to improve your, the quality of your life. You're likely going to improve on almost every variable. And that's what we saw both groups across the board benefited. They did better in both physical, psychological, and emotional outcomes. Everybody did great. Over what what period of time? 10 weeks. 10 weeks. What we noticed though, was in the plant-based group that there was statistically significant increases in two very important outcomes. And those are resilience and self-esteem. And resilience and self-esteem, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of others, are probably two of the biggest predictors for long-term recovery. Um, and so what we what we know to be true is, okay, so w- the, the study was designed into two parts. There's a three weeks that they spend in the rehab hospital, and then the next seven weeks in what is called a sober living facility. Can I stop you for a sec? Yeah. Who, so who, um, who helped you design yeah. and put together this study? Because... I can't imagine this was all just done by you. No. So I originally first had to find a treatment facility wanting to do it. And so I found one here. It's called Infinite Recovery. They're fantastic. And then I needed to find a lead investigator and a university to help me do this study. So I reached out to a few places. One uh, is a person I believe you know, Martin Tull mm-hmm. from ACLM. 
And he was like, oh, this is exciting. Like, write me a one pager and then let me see if we can get some universities involved and excited about it. I said, okay, great. So I, I wrote him the thing and he got back to me. There were several universities that were pretty excited. But at the same time, I reached out to, a, to an individual who I knew not only would be excited about the study, but also shared my, my perspective on what addiction actually is. And that's my, my dear friend, Dr. Tara Kemp. Hmm. Um, and she said, you know, let me see. I'll, I'm going to take it to the head of the nutrition research department, a guy named Jay Sutliff at Northern Arizona University and see if they're interested. They, they called him back like less than 24 hours. Like, we, we want to do this. We want to do it the way you want to do it. We're very excited about it. Like, fly, come fly out to Flagstaff. Let's all talk about it. And so we started planning the study design. First, we had to figure out what are we actually looking to measure? What are our primary outcomes? And our primary outcomes were resilience and self-esteem and self-compassion. Hmm. That's what we wanted to see if we could if we could measure uh, differences over the course of time. And we needed some MDs on the study. And I had just recently been, been at Plantstock. I was Plantstock. This was 2018. Yeah. And Dean and Aisha Shirzai were presenting, and I think that was the first time I actually met them. And I walked up to them. They had just given their talk on the Alzheimer's. Uh, solution. This was in um, Black Mountain. This is in Black Mountain, yeah. and I and I, 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 you know, asked them flat out, "Do you know of any research suggesting that a plant based diet can benefit addiction recovery?" And they they said to me, "Adam, you know, unfortunately, there's there's no evidence that a plant based diet is any value whatsoever to addiction recovery, and if for one very specific reason, no one has ever studied it. Huh. And so it's never been done. Never been done. And I said, "Oh, I want to though," and. <laughs> Can do you have if you have any information on nutrition and cognitive functionalists, which of course they do, can you help me? Because we're trying to build and design the study. And they legitimately said, We don't want to just send you that. We want to volunteer our time to be the MDs on your study. Meaning that they donated yeah. their time as MDs on the study, which was unbelievable. So all of us now we have a full team. And we started to design the protocol, the diet, the outcomes, the measurement methods, everything from the blood lipid panels to the fecal samples for the microbiome, microbiome screening to which scales we're going to use to study the emotional and psychological changes. What scales do they already use at the treatment center that we don't have to add? How are we going to do this thing? And that took about six months. It took about six months to get it right. And then on January of... January of 2020, yeah. we launched the study and ran right into COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so it slowed it down a bit, but we did, we, we were able to do the study in one year, which was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So um, you said it, it's, it's never been done before. Yeah. So to me, it seems so obvious. Yeah, of course. That, that okay, you, you change what people are eating uh, you give them this high premium kind of fuel yeah. and uh, you're going to get better across a myriad of, of, uh, of touch points. But obviously if it's never been done, you got to prove it. You got to prove right? it. Yeah. And what is it that Michael, Michael uh, Gregor always says? I have no idea. He says, uh, <laughs> put it to the test. Yeah. Put it, right? You, you got to put it to the test. Uh, yeah. You really do because we can make assumptions all we want, but that's not as convincing as like actual hard data. Yeah. And what I'm most proud about in terms of what we discovered in the study is number one, this is the first time resilience has ever been linked to diet, which is a really salient finding. Like that's really valuable. Number two. And, and just for like, for the audience. Yeah. When you say resilience, explain to me in the way you 
think of it. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so think of resilience as like your ability to bounce back. Like resilience would be, oh, I've learned how I'm learning to do something different or I'm learning to, to go a different direction in life. And as I go down this new direction, I'm confronted with something really difficult. Some moment in time, something happens in your, during your day that might cause you to want to go back the way you were going. Resilience is your ability to recognize that you still want to keep going that way. And you start to draw on tools or skills that you've learned in order to stay on that road and you get through it. Yeah. That's, and there's a, a scale called the Connor Davidson Resilience Scale that's a validated scale of measuring resilience. And it's universally recognized as like the scale to use. And so, so with addicts, yeah. is there like, okay, so uh, I get a flat tire, I have a bad day. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know what, I, I, I want to use because I am absolutely like, I'm yeah. bummed and I'm having a really shitty day. Yeah. It's, so it's kind of like absolutely. helping to, it's, it's, help, it's helping in those, you break through that. That's exactly right. It's, it's in those moments when you start to question whether this is actually worth it to you and being able to reassure yourself that, yes, this is absolutely the direction I want to go. I forgot that this was supposed to be hard Yeah, and I want to keep going. And I have the resilience to do it. Okay. The other thing you said was self-esteem. Self-esteem, yeah. And so is that, can you measure self-esteem? You can. Yeah. There's a, there's a scale to measure self-esteem. It's simply a questionnaire that uh -huh. you, you ask individuals to answer. Or, and, and as a result of it, you get a quantifiable number that basically gives you a sense of whether their self-esteem is going up or it's going down. And what is so important about self-esteem and recovery is, and I, I really do like how Doug Lyle uh, talks about self-esteem because a lot of people think about self-esteem as how you think about yourself, but it's a little bit more complex than that in a very, uh, very, uh, um, eloquent way. Self-esteem, according to Doug Lyle and evolutionary psychology is an internal audience hmm. that is responding to you as if it were the world watching you do what you do. And what's really important to think about is when someone checks into recovery, that individual has a very low self-esteem for one very simple reason, or there's more than one, but there's one very important reason. When they look at the world around them, it doesn't seem like the people in their life struggle at all to mm -hmm. not use. And to them, that's nearly impossible to do that, which is also kind of a hindrance to their self-esteem. The reason why is what that means is if they just stop using, maybe it's not worthy of applause. If you were to just do what everyone does baseline every single day, is that really that valuable? Am I really, am I really gaining anything valuable that I can share with people? And so you have to battle this thing that Doug calls an ego trap where your belief about the world around you is giving you a sense that this incredible, extraordinary sacrifice to you is not a sacrifice at all to the rest of the world. And they might not think that it's that great of a thing. They may not go way to go, attaboy, you know, right. good for you. But what I like about pairing nutrition with another kind of valuable behavior, sorry, pairing uh, recovery with a valuable behavior is that you're not doing something called passive recovery, which is I'm just not going to use. Mm. You're doing something called active recovery, where you're actively substituting use with something that the rest of the world might see as a sacrifice. Like if you look at the world around you right now, eating healthy doesn't no. seem like something people know how to do very well. Not very popular. Not a very popular <laughs> thing at all. And if you were to ask them, what do you think about eating healthy? They go, that's ah, a sacrifice. I don't want to sacrifice what I really love. Right. 
And so if you're willing to replace use with something that the rest of the world sees as a sacrifice, mm. and over the course of three, four weeks, you notice that you have these kind of extraordinary changes in your health and yourself and how you move, the rest of the world is going to look at you inside of, in, ter- in terms of your ter- internal audience go, I don't know how you did that. I've tried to do that several times and I've yeah. never been able to do it. Way to go. And you did that while you were giving up drugs. Now, mm-hmm. giving up drugs is worthy of applause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this raises your self-esteem because it seems like you have now figured out something that the rest of the world struggles to figure out. You did it while giving up drugs and you have a pretty good sense that you figured this thing out. Like you didn't just lose weight on a, on a crash diet. You figured out a way to live your life. So that now when you wake up in the morning, you have a sense that I've got value I could share with someone if they need it. My body feels like a safer place to be than it was when I got here. And it seems like it's going to be a safer place tomorrow. I'm kind of excited to see what that looks like. I'm willing to struggle today if necessary to get to tomorrow because I really want to find that out. Making tomorrow an exciting Mm. and safe place to be is one of the most important things you can do for someone in recovery. And I think nutrition plays such a huge part in that because it's like a vehicle that could drive you there if you want to. It could, you could say like, as long as I stay in this car, tomorrow might be a place I want to go look at. It mm-hmm. might be a place I want to go live in because today feels great. And I know what two weeks ago felt like. And I, I, I could never have imagined feeling this way. What in the world is two weeks going to look like? I'm so motivated to get there for the first time in my life. Being alive, being present in your yeah. life. Yeah is now something that you want to actively do. So there's no doubt in my mind that that uh, this works. I guess my question is, so you just said that, you know, if you are able to eat this way yeah. while stop giving up using, yeah. that is worthy of some major applause. Yeah. But how many people in your study did you find that were following this plant-based diet actually were able to stick with it for 10 weeks and how many dropped off? Yeah. So we had 42 people who joined the study um, and we kept 33, but some of the dropping off was due to insurance Mm. and other things like that. So it wasn't technically that they didn't want to do the diet anymore. So I, you know, I could probably say if we looked at half that number of drop off, that's about what happened. Um, What I really found interesting was that we, we collected qualitative interviews of the individual's experiences in recovery while doing the study. And the, the, the qualitative stories that we capture are really compelling. We have people saying, oh, this is my first or my second or even my third time in recovery. But this felt different. Hmm. This, and, I, and they'll say, I didn't expect it to become a spiritual thing for me. I didn't expect it to be something that gave me a sense of being connected to something greater than myself. But I found that happening as this study continued or as my journey continued that for the first time, nutrition wasn't just a way for me to escape the day for like an hour. It was about building a better place to live. And like that is that that statement alone really speaks to what I think is so important about plant-based nutrition or at least plant-predominant nutrition in recoveries. It's we're feeding these people anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not adding an additional step to the whole dance of recovery. Mm. We're just replacing it with something that we know is valuable. Now we've measured it. Now we know. We now know that not only did the, the treatment group perform better in resilience and self-esteem, 
more people in the treatment group stayed on the diet than those in the uh, control group, meaning that for whatever reason, plant-based nutrition seemed to be incredible, much more attractive to people than the other diet in terms of sticking with it. Uh, we noticed that at the end of the study, the individuals who had the, the highest performance in self-esteem and resilience compared to those who had the lowest, the biggest differentiator was fiber. Mm. Mm. The biggest differentiator was fiber intake. And that's that's really great because you don't have to define diet to somebody if we just say, hey, look, we're just gonna, we just want you to eat more fiber. You don't have to say vegan. You don't have to say paleo. You don't have to say anything like that. You don't have to make it part of their identity yet. You could just say, are you getting 50 grams of fiber? Well, and, and is the connection there? I mean, we know there's a huge connection between the gut and the brain yeah. and your mood. Yeah. So you think that's part of it? I think that and the there, type of bacteria you're, you're Yeah, we're, we're still in the process of analyzing all the microbiome data. But what we know is this. Like, there's, there's great statistics out there that people like to throw around because it's fun. Uh, is that 90% of your serotonin and 50% of your dopamine is produced in the gut. And that's true, but none of those neurotransmitters cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm. So those aren't actively becoming part of your brain neurochemistry. However, a person with a healthy gut microbiome consuming a fiber-rich diet produces short-chain fatty acids that do cross the blood-brain barrier that are responsible for your brain's for the creation of your brain's neurotransmitters uh, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, all these incredible things that give us a sense that our life is going in a direction that we want it to go. Mm. And that's valuable. That's useful. That we can say, okay, if we know that, everybody in treatment should be on a high fiber diet. If that's the case, we should be doing this. What's your definition of high fiber? Uh, 50 grams or more, in my opinion. And just a little FYI, everybody, most Americans are getting 16 and a half grams a yeah, day, if they're lucky. Yeah, if they're lucky. It's between 5 and 15. Okay, yeah. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's well, wait, what's your, your your morning big bowl is 40, right? 42. Yeah. 42. Yeah, yeah. Some people say it's the big bowl. Yeah. No, it's the big bowl. It's the big bowl. Yeah, exactly. So the third thing, the third thing you said was self-compassion. Yeah. And is there a way to that you're also able to measure that? We did measure it. So everything that we wanted to measure, we had validated scales of measuring it. And what was great was this. Number one, as I mentioned before, everyone who entered the study, whether you were in the control group or the treatment group, saw benefits on every outcome across the board, which means one thing. One thing. Number one, that treatment facility is doing a darn good job. Infinite Recovery is doing a fantastic job at taking care of people's recovery. The amazing thing was the only group that saw outperforming um, uh, increases, meaning a variable that did better than the other group. The only one was the, the plant-based group, mm. meaning that at worst, a plant-based group is neutral. At best, it's the right diet for addiction recovery. Yeah. And so that is really exciting to me because for the longest time, an individual in addiction recovery wanting to change their diet, certainly wanting to eat more plants than meat, would find a quite a difficult time doing that. There's this mechanistic uh, approach to addiction recovery and nutrition where it's like you have to have, you know, omega-3 fatty acids. So fish have to be part of your diet and you can't eliminate fish. And it's like when you look at that kind of mechanistic approach of because this has this and it's related to that, therefore eating this must be the right thing to do, you're going to have a very hard time convincing people that when you look at outcomes over time, rather than mechanisms, 
we can actually start to make some changes, but you need data to back that up. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm really glad that we, we just shown that there isn't a single variable that we measured where the plant-based group didn't do as good or better than the traditional group. I would imagine there are all kinds of hoops that you had to jump through to create the, the menu. Mm. And then somebody had to approve it yeah. to make sure that you're getting all the protein you need yeah, and all that you know, macro and micronutrients. Oh my gosh. So who, who developed the menu for you? Yeah. So uh, Brenda Reed. Bre- oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So the person who designs you, the menu for your retreats, yeah. I was yeah. like, look, if we're going to do it, we got to do the best we can. And that's the best diet I know of. So Brenda helped us design the diet. And then she came and trained the treatment facility staff on how to properly prepare and mm-hmm. serve the those meals because we wanted them to be attractive we wanted it it needs to be attractive it has to be enjoyable it has to be something that people want to get up and they don't they don't want to look at food and go oh, yeah fine no they gotta go oh well, did you guys have that meal yesterday that was i never had anything like that so that's pretty good so can you give me an example of some of the breakfast lunch and dinners that were well, served yeah so the break was very similar to what we would do at a retreat so steel cut oatmeal steel cut oatmeal big bowl cereals and stuff like that or, or yeah. we had like whole wheat whole grain cereals um yeah uh fruit obviously uh and then of course we included amazing meals uh one of mine that i insisted was cheesy chickpeas uh-huh. you know um but yeah lentil loaf all the but really keeping it simple Every now and then they did something special, like a lentil loaf or whatever, but it's mostly, you know, rice, beans, greens, uh, other yeah. grains, other legumes, um, fruit, nuts, seeds. Probably soups. Um, yeah. And, uh, but keeping everything to appropriate amounts, like people go, oh, you know, nuts and seeds are, are great because they have healthy fats. And so people go, so you just got to eat as much as you can. It's like, well, no, mm-hmm. listen, nuts and seeds are healthy, but there's an, there's an amount that's appropriate. There's an amount that's not enough. There's an amount that's too much when it comes to high fat foods. And so we were, we kept ours to less than 20% of our calories coming from fat from all foods combined. And then about like a 70 split on the the rest of it. So 70% carbohydrate and the rest coming from protein. So when did this study get published? The study got published, I think August of last year, but I've been, I've been keeping it kind of under wraps because I really wanted to, um, find the right vehicle to announce it to the world. And I think that the Forbes and Psychology Today articles were the great way to, was a great way to do it. And when did that happen? So that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm so excited and proud that, you know, outlets like Forbes and Psychology Today were, were excited to publish an article literally with a giant plate of, of plant-based food saying plant-based diets might be the solution to substance abuse, which is a little bit of a sensationalist post, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, to me, in your mind, what does this mean as far as the potential future of addiction yeah. recovery with using food as a yeah. part of that recovery? Well, I think that for the first time ever, we now have data that shows that, that uh, nutrition needs to be properly planned into recovery. It shouldn't be used as an escape moment Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be used as something that kind of harkens someone back to their life before they got there i think that what's really important about recovery is that actually i think recovery is like a poor choice of words Mm. what's better you know i don't really know but what i think is recovery means getting back what you lost and i think i think that what you're seeking is the discovery of how to move forward as the person you've always meant to be but have not yet become 
right? Sort of crafting that new way of living your life so that the world becomes a safer place, your life becomes a safer place, the people become a safer place. And so I think recovery is an obvious because you're trying to recover, not, you know, recover yourself from not using, but it kind of believes that there's parts of your life that, you know, you should just continue to keep in your life, whether it's in your, your food, whatever, and just find a way to stop using. Finding a way to stop using is not the answer. What we want to do is we want to help people intentionally design a way of living where use is less necessary. That's recovery. That's addiction treatment. The abstinence model just doesn't work. Mm. And I say that because the data says it doesn't work. It doesn't work in with drugs because doesn't that, doesn't that work in alcohol? And isn't that what AA is all about? Well, so... First of all, I think AA is phenomenal because it's a it's a nationwide free service that anybody can get to if they need it, right? If you can look online and find an AA meeting right now. It's free. It costs you nothing. You can go and you can start your recovery method. But what we have to recognize is, is the recidivism rate. Yeah. So an individual who checks into treatment or starts their recovery journey will be back into treatment. 70% of them will be back into treatment within one year. And that statistic is lowered because it doesn't account for the number of people who die mm. before that one year mark. And so, uh, you know, I think that the, the, the way that we've approached it was seemingly a good idea to look at drugs as the problem and say, the reason why you have a problem is because you used drugs, but a, a much better way forward is to look at the person and help them understand why it made so much sense that to them, drug use or substance use became such a valuable part of their life. And what we want to do is we don't want to remove that use. We want to focus all of your attention and energy in organizing and designing a life where that behavior is not necessary for you to have a life you want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do. And you know this because you've watched, I don't know how many tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people you've helped. You've literally watched them when they walk through the door. You saw me when I came through the door at your retreat. And you see these people, and I see them when I'm with you. These people, they come in, and they're, it's like they've tried everything, and they're about to give up. Mm-hmm. They're about to give up because they've tried so hard. Believe me, if you're out there and you're a person struggling with substance use or a person struggling with obesity, I know how hard you're trying. And they're, they're, it's like, oh, just oh, fine, I'll do one more thing, I'll do one more thing, because I just, I don't want to be here. And when I say that, they mean their life. I just don't want to be here. This is, it's, it's hard. I hate it. It hurts. And you see what happens when you give someone a vehicle like plant-based nutrition. When you can help this person figure out how to do it where it's not complicated, mm. where it's attractive enough, but not too attractive, but attractive enough. And that after seven days, when we're five days where your retreats and that light kind of comes on, you see this glimmer of hope in their eye where they go, not only... Did I do this thing? And I've seen results, but I think I can continue to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And that is a moment that, like, I'm starting to get choked up here. That is a moment that, like, when you witness that, that's the hope that everybody wants in recovery. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they're experiencing that is because you didn't ever say, why didn't you just put down the cheeseburger? You said, why don't you do this instead? Mm-hmm. Instead of eat less, you said, no, that's not your problem isn't that you're eating too much. The problem is that no one told you that the environment that you're living in is supposed to take you to right where you are. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault. Mm. Why don't you make your environment look like this? Come live with us for five days. Look at how we did this thing. 
Notice how you feel. And if you think you like it and you want to do more, keep going. And they do. They, that, you know, when we circle up and everyone shares how they feel, I want that feeling to exist in a treatment facility mm-hmm. where they don't look at the next year of their life and go, how the heck am I going to do this thing? This was the hardest 28 days of my life. And I was in a treatment facility where I wasn't allowed to use. It wasn't possible. How the heck am I going to do this? This sucked. I want them to spend 28 days and after be so inspired by the experience that they had that they're excited about the next year of their life. They don't have to think worry about the rest of their life, but the next year of their life, like, I think I can do this thing. Like, this, this is going to, this is going to be fun. I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. When you look back yeah. on your life up to this point in time, what do you think was your bravest moment? Uh, I would say I, I, there, there have been a few moments in my life that distinctly st- uh, come to mind. Number one was going to your retreat. I didn't want to be there. I was embarrassed to be around people. Yeah. And, and I was, I was, you know, I was inf- confronted with someone who, you, who looked like a superhero who my dad looked up to. And I was like, he's just going to think I'm a, I'm a piece of shit, you know, <laughs> like that's cause that's yeah. how I felt about myself. Yeah. And, um, and then checking into treatment was the, the, probably the second bravest, uh, thing that I've ever done. Um, but I would say probably the hardest and most, uh, brave moment of my life was likely every single morning of the first year of recovery. And the reason for that is even though, you know, after like two, three weeks when, you know, my blood pressure was plummeting, my blood sugar was plummeting, my yeah. weight was coming down and I was excited, even though it was like, it was exciting, you know, I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had never been in recovery before. I didn't know if it just gets harder at six months, if the first three weeks are supposed to feel great and then it gets harder at six months, but I did it anyways. I just said to myself, and I remember telling myself this, you don't have to worry about how what the next six months looks like, but you've got to look at these next seven days and know you can do it. You got to, and I, and I kind of modeled that off because your retreats were seven days at the time. Yeah, like I just have to to build these seven day experiments where I kind of figure out how I'm gonna. I, I say it this way: organize my life and my environment so that I can do this thing with as much ease as possible, not with as much like pleasure and excitement as possible. I need it to be easy. If it can be easy, then hopefully over time it will become exciting and fun. And that's that's what happened. Yeah. When I think about, because I've heard your your talk yeah. probably 30 times. Yeah. But when, when you talk about how much you, when you were kind of at the height of your weight yeah. and just the amount of hatred and self-loathing yeah. that you had, and I look at where you are today, you are an absolute... Beautiful human being, handsome as can be, fit. You're you you married the love of your life. Yeah, you're talking about having a family. Yep. To me, I mean, you are you've done a 180 from yeah. that person that probably didn't even ever think he was deserving. Yeah, of all of not. all the things that you absolutely have today. Not. Yeah, and so I anyway, I just see see you sitting here and and how. You've embraced this whole new life, this kind of this new you, yeah, and uh, and just how it's one of the most remarkable transformations that I've ever had the opportunity to witness. Yeah, and as I've I, I, I tell people when I introduce you, you know, 
this to me, it gives all of us collectively hope that no one is ever too far gone. Yeah. Because you were far gone. I was far gone. Yeah. It was. It you was, were in a bad place. And that's the thing. Like, if you were to look at my life then, the, how, how did my drug use not make sense? You know? Now, you, using led me down that road, but when it got to a point where I couldn't stop using, the reasons I couldn't stop using were very obvious. I mean, my body hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. My relationships hurt. Um, the world was. I felt it, the world felt like a scary place. I needed to not be present as much as possible yeah. because that felt like relief. That felt like self-care. And so drug use in that scenario is very obvious and very reasonable. And it's not pathology. It's not crazy. It's not brokenness. It is the appropriate response your physiology and psychology should be having to a life that's that painful and that scary. And so if you were to take me today and I've, I would say I've, I've, pretty darn well reconnected myself to the loving and meaningful bonds in life that give me the experience of wanting to be alive and wanting to be present in my life. And even if you were to give me a drink of water and go, here, I got you some water. Oh, and after I drink, you go, oh, just so you know, I, I put some heroin in there. Yeah. I would have the same euphoric experience that I used to have as when I would abuse opiates. Same euphoric experience. And afterwards, if you were to say, do you want more? I'd say, no. Nah. And the reason isn't because I'm a different person. The reason is because I live in a different world. Hmm. I live in a world where I want to show up. I want to be present. I want to feel this body. I want to feel the people in my life. And I want to experience what tomorrow is going to bring. And so that's why I say no. And that's more powerful than the... That's that's more powerful than telling someone the reason why you're saying you can't stop using is because there's these chemical hooks Mm -hmm. that create this compulsion that make you want to use over and over again. So your pain means nothing. Your story means nothing. And instead of telling someone all they have to do is stop using, what we should be doing is replacing the use with appropriate and valuable behavior patterns that are likely to create a better life for that person, a better sense of the world for them, and a safer experience for them inside of their bodies and outside of their bodies moving forward. That starts with plant-based nutrition. It starts with movement. Of course, it includes therapy. Mm -hmm. But the fact that nutrition has never been measured until now was very upsetting to me because I probably attribute one or two other things to being as equally powerful as what nutrition offered me in recovery. And we can give it to people right now. Right. There's nothing stopping any treatment center right now saying, hey, you know, we already spend money on food, so let's just buy different food. Like, we can do it right now, and that's my mission. If anything, it's probably less expensive. It it actually is less expensive. Our menu is cheaper than the other one. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so do you, so what, what would you love to happen because of what you did with this study? Yeah. So my dream is to open a completely reimagined uh, recovery facility where um, everything about the way that you move through your day is intentionally designed to reconnect you to what it is to want to be a present in your life rather than getting you to just accept and, and own the identity of an addict who can't stop using because because you're an addict and that's why you can't stop using. And so listen, you better be darn sure you're afraid of drugs. You better be really afraid of being in that bar. You better be really afraid of holidays and stuff like that because those are going to be tough for you because the only reason you want to use is because you're an addict. And so we're going to give you some tools. We're going to give you these meetings to go to. You're going to need to go to them for the rest of your life. And hopefully you can grit your way through life and make it through sober. Um, 
and I, I, I get this kind of like irritation in my voice, not because I, I disdain recovery, but because I think that it is so obvious in the, in the way that they're approaching it, that it's not the right way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, what we want to do is we want to help these people who are not addicts because there's something wrong with them. They're addicts because their life is not the place that they need to be. Mm. And if we can help create an environment and they can cultivate a, a way of living within that environment that encourages the experience of wanting to be present in their life, they might use, there might be a moment when they say, oh, you know, it's my, my son just had a baby. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toast him with champagne. But it'll likely be convivial. It will be seldom and it will not be a, uh, in the attempt of escape. I'm saying this for the majority of people, not for every single person, but I think that that's what we need to do. We need to help people figure out why it makes so much sense that they used. And if we can do that, well, let's just reorganize your life so that use becomes less necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a way of expressing all that. It is just absolutely <laughs> incredible. Thank you. Uh, I love the word convivial. I haven't heard that in a long time. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to, yeah, we're going to wind this down, Yeah, but I want to finish on kind of a, uh, a a lighter note. Sure. And that is, so what, uh, are there any shows you're watching right now that you'd recommend anybody out there? Yeah, I've I've watched, I'm watching The Last of Us and it's fantastic. (laughs) It's fantastic. But I'll say this. The, the show I probably enjoyed watching the most in like the last, you know, couple of years was there is a show that I avoided for years because I didn't like the character that she played on The Office. And it's Mindy Kaling. She played in a very annoying character on The Office. And so when the show called The Mindy Project came out, I was like, I don't want to watch that. I couldn't stand her in The Office. And my wife, when we first started dating... It's like one of her favorite shows. And she's like, she's like, I want to start watching the Mindy Project from the beginning. Like, do you want to watch it? And so I was like, sure, I've never watched that show. Like, I've been wanting to watch it. That is like the best show I've ever watched. It is so enjoyable. It is so rewatchable. It's literally on par with The Office, with Parks and Rec, with Seinfeld, with all these. If you're a person who just wants to have pure enjoyment, yeah. the characters get better over the seasons. When they add new characters, those characters are equally interesting. It's so funny. I love it. I, I, I absolutely love the Mindy the Project. The Mindy Project. The Mindy Project. And in, yeah. in my house uh, right now, it's Jane the Virgin. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I have heard of it. I've never watched it. <laughs> crazy, crazy. It's just so yeah. lighthearted and fun. And I think what's it called? The Mexican novella, something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. What about book? Any any particular book that uh, we should I read? I just started reading David Goggins' new book, uh, Never Finished. And I got the audiobook that he actually reads, uh, and uh, I'm really into it. And I loved his first book, Can't Hurt Me. So, and I got it because, well, you guys know I'm. We're all going to be running together coming up in like a week and a half, and so who better to motivate you than David yeah. Goggins? Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's um, there's uh, there's some cool stuff that I've I've just been uh, catching up on in terms of like nutrition, like I. I, uh, um, I read through, um, Simon Hill's book, mm-hmm. Proof is in the Plants. Um, there was a, uh, a book that, uh, that, um, my wife was really interested in reading is, it was called like the leptin solution, which is about like 
how to alt, alt, rearrange your 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 diet and when and how you eat to optimize leptin and ghrelin, which I found to be really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know the validity validity of it, but I thought it'd be interesting to read. Yeah. Um, but those, yeah, those are kind of like hunger hormones, right? Or, That's exactly what they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's not a it's not a a pop group from the eighties, leptin and ghrelin. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the Goggins book is what I'm. I think I'm in chapter five, almost chapter six. Okay. Robbie told me chapter six is the best chapter, so I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, what about last thing is a vacation spot for anybody that's looking for a good yeah. vacation so, spot. I just went on a fantastic vacation. I went on my honeymoon to Costa Rica and we spent the first six nights in Tamarindo at a place called Capitan Suizo. It was a small boutique hotel founded by a Swiss family. It's right on the beach. We got, we had a private bungalow. It, it was, it was incredible. All uh, breakfast is all inclusive. They have this dish there. Traditional Costa Rican breakfast dish is something called gallo pinto. Mm. And it's a rice and beans dish with these spices and has like uh, like Worcestershire sauce in it and stuff. I I ate so much of that. And then all the fruit was incredible. And then we spent the next four nights uh, in the Arenal volcano region of Costa Rica at a place called Tabacón. This place is remarkable. It sits on top of these volcanic rivers. And I don't mean that they're lava rivers. They're rivers that are heated by mm-hmm. the volcanic activity. And so the rivers are like a hundred degrees and they're thermal and they have all these minerals in it. And so you, you just go and you lay in these rivers and this beautiful garden and everything is unbelievable. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. You should go. It's fantastic. Where can people find you? Yeah. Um, I launched my new website, adamsud.com. So if you're interested in uh, finding out about more about the study, the study is on the website. We got links to the articles. We got uh, older interviews and videos. Um, also, if you're interested in uh, finding out about my services, you can book me as a speaker for an event um, through that website. You can also book me as a, I, I do concierge style coaching services for people who want to use nutrition to improve the quality of their life, yeah. both physically and emotionally. And so what I mean by concierge is it's really high touch. Like I'm basically on call to you Monday through Friday. Oh. So you have a, a video call once a week. And then if you text me and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. I need to talk. You're going to get 10 minutes of my time Monday through Friday every single day. So I'm basically going to walk you through the whole thing. So if you're interested in that, the the opportunity to book a discovery call is on the website as well. And then I've got some really great affiliations. There's this one company, Plant Strong. Yeah. Yeah. There's a link to that on there. It's really good. Plant Strong Foods. Yeah. Plant Strong Foods. That's right. Yeah. And are you're going to be... Joining me yes. and the whole Plant Strong crew in Black Mountain. Black Mountain for this our, spring. For our next six-day retreat. Yeah, and I promise not to get into my bike accident this time. <laughs> <laughs> and will you just like give it a quick like sell? Because yeah. we got about 20 spots left. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, if you want a selling point, the reason why I have been able to do what I've been able to do with my life is because I attended one of these. Um, so I went from, you know, about as far gone as you can be in, in health and in, in, uh, and in life to having, you know, waking up at 5am, just can't wait for my day to start, um, you know, married to the love of my life and feeling better than I've ever felt in my body than in my entire life. I think what's so wonderful about the retreats is it is an opportunity for you to Step outside of the life that you live right now. Mm. Come, come and be with us. 
because we we've intentionally designed and created an environment and an experience that is for the entire purpose of you discovering what's possible. Mm. And if you come here and you spend five days with us, you are going to discover what's possible. You will see it because we, we, we give you no other option. At the end of the five days, you're going to notice what is possible for you and your body after five days of completely living. Six, six days, six days living a plant strong lifestyle with movement, with proper sleep, with everything. With social activity, social engagement, fun, learning to have fun again, learning to play, learning to laugh, all the things. And eat copious amounts of food. Exactly. At the end of those five (laughs) days, you're going to notice the effect that that has on you. Six days. Six, sorry. I keep saying five. (laughs) I know. know. End of those six days, you're going to be confronted with the reality that this lifestyle could mean for you. You just got to show up. And you're likely going to be inspired by that and motivated to repeat it. If you come, I guarantee you. I guarantee you, you lose nothing by coming, but you might miss out on the most important thing in your life if you don't come. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Adam, this has been an absolute blast. Yeah. Third time. Third time. On yeah. the Plant Strong Podcast, you have just pulled a hat trick. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. I love you, Adam. Love you too, man. Thanks, Adam, for all your incredible efforts to bring this study known as the infinite study to fruition. We'll be sure to link to the study and the article from Forbes in the show notes so that you all can read more about it. Thanks so much for listening. And once again, we get to celebrate another big win for plants. We'll see you next week for a fabulous conversation with Tony Okamoto, Ms. Plant-Based on a Budget. Until then, keep it plant strong. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plan Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.